this morning, and if you would, open your Bible to 1 Timothy. And uh, sorry for having so many announcements today, but uh, we felt like that was important. And so, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Today we conclude our series, um, you know, Five Ways to Ruin Your Life. And so, um, we're, we're just basically talking about the lies that we tell ourselves to walk down a path that ultimately will ruin our life. And next week we begin, um, next week we have a standalone message on community because we're relaunching our growth groups. And then the following week we begin a new series entitled Change Your World as we lead into our missions conference uh, in October. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses uh, 6 through 9, or 6 through 8 actually, let's read those verses. The Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Father in heaven, I know that in my own life, one of the greatest struggles that I face on a a daily and probably a moment-by-moment basis is the issue of contentment. Our hearts, as Augustine said, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I know, Lord, that the, the fleeting pleasures of this world seem to satisfy, but they only do so for a season or for a moment. And I just pray this morning that um, as Pastor Mike opens the Word of God and begins to teach us this morning that we might be a people that find our treasure in you, that we might be a people that find our hope and our our satisfaction, and that we would realize that that pursuing the pleasures of this world um, don't even compare to the promises and the pleasures that God has for those who faithfully pursue him. So Lord, work in our hearts today. Uh, We live in a world of consumerism. We live in a world where uh, we're never satisfied. And so I pray, God, that we'd find all that we need and more in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I uh, was reminded this morning how thankful I am that we're going to do the parking lot. I got almost tripped and fell. It was kind of funny. Nobody saw me, though. But uh, the nice thing about the parking lot is when it's striped and everything, we'll actually get more parking spots out of it because with the gravel, everybody kind of parks further away. But, you know, parking spots are a lot like men. You know, they're, the good ones are taken, and the, the ones that are free are really far out there, right? And so, um, uh, <laughs> I know, it's a corny joke. Um, I, I, but it's true, right? It's true. Um, I love the passage that we start off with. You know, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Amen? I'm sure everybody ate this morning. We all need food to survive. And thank God we all got clothes on. It would be very uncomfortable if we didn't. Uh, I I mean, to me, uh, as you get older, you realize, uh, you know, there's this, mindset in the world about dressing for success. When I dress, I dress to be comfortable. I left the house this morning, and as I'm driving here with my wife and daughter, my wife goes, are you wearing those pants? And I said, well, yeah, I'm in the car. I'm wearing my pants. And she goes, nobody wears those pants anymore, and they're dirty. So I had to turn around and go back and put different (laughs) pants on to comfort. To me, I think, you know, the world is drawn into appearances, right? We focus on brand names. We focus on you know, who's, who you are wearing or carrying or whatever it may be. And it, it, it tends to be, a, 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 for some, you know, a consumption, right? And so the, the problem with the church, we get too caught up with Madison Avenue instead of listening what the master has to say to us. We, we, we follow culture 
more than we follow Christ, and we take and pursue the world more than we do the Word of God. So this morning, I know you got your bulletins in there, in there but I'm adding a couple points. I, I, I apologize, but I drove to Freeport, uh, Illinois, uh, yesterday or Friday and came back yesterday. Spent a lot of time in the car thinking, and as the Lord brought more things to my mind, I just kept adding them to my sermon. We're going to do a little tour through Scripture today because I think Scripture will say what needs to be said a whole lot better than I do, right? But I want you to look at some things. One of the things we're going to talk about is that I think people have a, a difficult time with money, which is why I think Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Can you grasp that? He talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined because I believe he realized how difficult it would be for people to manage it and have the proper perspective when it comes to money. Because, you know, today it's kind of changed. It used to be till death do us part in marriage, and now it's really until debt does us part because we just don't know how to manage money anymore. People are always broke, it seems like. How do you know if you're broke? A couple ways, right? You get all your condiments from McDonald's. That's one first thing. Although some of them now, if you don't ask for it, you don't get it, right? Number two, American Express calls and says, please leave home without it, right? You, you, you rob Peter, and then you go ahead and rob Paul at the same time. You clean your house and your car for purposes, exclusive purposes of finding change, right? Have we done that, right? Your baloney has no first name. I know a lot of you won't get that. It's an older thing. And my favorite, my favorite, you know you're broke when you can't even pay attention. But here's the thing. How many here today, and I want to see you raise your hands, how many here today believe money can buy happiness? How many think that? Anybody? See, m money can buy momentary happiness. You, know, you go buy a new car, you're happy. You know, because you got that new car smell, which lasts about two weeks or so, right? And after that, it's gone. And the minute you drove it off the lot, it takes you a couple weeks to realize it just got depreciated by 10 grand, right? <laughs> I never buy any more new cars. I've, I've, I've given up on it. I always bought, buy new used cars, right? It makes sense. But to me, I think if you want to be dissatisfied with life, I'm going to show you how most people are dissatisfied with life. First of all, they pursue money. They don't pay attention to what Scripture says. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning. Be discerning enough to desist, Right? Do not, here's the thing, I love our, our, our founding fathers in this country, in, the, in, the, in our, the, the document that kind of governs everything, when you look at that Declaration of Independence, it says that every man is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know why? Because you can't purchase happiness. It can't be purchased. No matter how much money you make, at the end of the day, it will not buy you happiness. Ecclesiastes 5.11 says that when you pursue money, it'll leave you empty. When goods increase, they increase to eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? I saw a cool little uh, bumper sticker once that said, I'm starving on the salary I once dreamed of. Isn't that true? I remember when I first started out thinking I was making 30000 and I got out of the army and thinking, oh, man, I was rich. And then all of a sudden I started, got married, and it kind of changed my perspective a little bit. And then also I thought, man, if I could only make this much. And then when I made that much, it really didn't do much because now I had four kids. 
and everything that goes with that. I just don't think that we realize that money isn't the answer to our issues and our problems. Money, when you pursue, will also cause you to be exhausted. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, Sleep, or sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Do you realize study shows that insomnia increases with wealth? The richer you are, the less you get to sleep. Why? Because you got anxiety over everything you own or everything you have, right? I don't worry about a tornado destroying my summer home because I don't have one. <laughs> Never a worry for me because I don't have it, right? And I think it's important for us to understand that because at the end, when you're pursuing something that leaves you empty and leaves you exhausted, here's what it does. It causes trouble. Proverbs 15, 27 and this is the New King James Version, because uh, uh, I like it better. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. Isn't that true? Man, when you're out there buying things and doing things, some people actually have to buy a storage unit just to put their stuff in it, right? How foolish is that that they rent something to store the things that they're not going to use? I wish I would have listened to my wife's advice. Back in the day when I was making all kinds of money. We, we, I wanted to invest in a motorhome so that I can take my kids on vacation, right? I just didn't like flying. I flew all the time for work, so I bought the motorhome. I wish I would have listened to her and said, let's not buy it. Let's just rent it a couple times a year. It would have saved me a lot of money. Because just because you desire something doesn't mean you got to acquire something. I think we, we missed that point. But the most important thing is when you pursue wealth, it ultimately destroy you. If you add the next verse, in the verse we opened up with in 1 Timothy 6, it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. Isn't that true? Most of us spend the first half of our life pursuing money at the, ex at the expense of our health. And then we spend the second half of our life giving and using our money to gain that health that we lost doesn't make any sense, does it? It's interesting. He who loves money will not be satisfied, the great wise one, Solomon said. The wisest man that ever lived, and maybe arguably the richest man that ever lived. He said this, that ultimately pursuit of money will lead to dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income this is also vanity. Basically, this great man of God thousands of years ago was the inspiration for the great theologian Mick Jagger's I ain't got no satisfaction. Because wealth doesn't bring it. It doesn't bring it. Think about it. Kate Spade, who took her life. Anthony Bordeaux, who took their life. When I was watching the press cover those stories, one of the things they all talked about is how much they had to live for. Kate was wealthy, famous, designer, had all this fame. She had a daughter. And I'm thinking, I, I don't see that. I think she had a whole lot to live on, but I don't think she had anything to live for, which is why she took her life. Same thing with Anthony Bordeaux. When you think about it, suicide in itself is really a byproduct of the wealthy people in the world, right? When you look at third world countries where they have nothing, their suicide rate is a fraction of what it is in America in an industrialized world. Because they know how to appreciate what they do have. 
and not what they do not have. I always say that, hey, look, when you look at it, if Hollywood was the picture of what life should be like, which it claims to be, then why are they always getting divorced? Why are they always unsatisfied? Why are they always angry, it seems like, when we're not in a movie? You know why? Because fame and fortune does not satisfy. Yeah, everybody says the grass is greener on the other side, but so is the water bill that has to support that grass, right? We just don't think about it that way. To me, I think when we pursue money, it's the number one dissatisfied, but there's others. Let me give you four more that were my original four or five, I should say. How to be dissatisfied in life. One, be ungrateful and focus on the negative. You know, so pursue money, and if that doesn't do it for you, be ungrateful and focus on the, the negative. Don't forget about what the Bible says in Hebrews. Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So be ungrateful with what you don't have or what you do have because it's not as good as someone else's. And be negative about things, right? Don't look on the positive. Look at the negative things. That'll help you to be dissatisfied with life. Another thing you can do is constantly compare yourself to people who have more. 2 Corinthians tells us this, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are uh, commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. You know, when you compare yourself to others, it drives your desires. And the Bible says that God will give us the desires of our heart. We forget the first part that says that when we seek God first. With all our heart, he'll give us the desires of our heart. But hey, forget about that. Go after the gusto. Madison Evans says, hey, you deserve the best in life. It's something that you're sort of, you know, you should have this and you should have that. Just borrow for it. If that doesn't work, then strive for the temporary over the eternal. Luke says this, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Isn't that true? But yet, hey, go after it. Get it on because things matter to a lot of people. And if that doesn't work for you, blame God where you're at in life. Psalm 43, the psalmist did the same thing. For you are God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? In other words, oh Lord, why am I in this situation? Why did you put me here? We all do that, right? It's amazing how many times I get into counseling and people just say, I don't know why God would let, allow this to happen. Forget about all the decisions you made before then because that doesn't matter, right? That's why I love uh, Proverbs 19.3. It says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Isn't that true? We make all these decisions, then we get ourselves in a place where we're just finding our lives frustrating, and who do we blame? We blame God. Because we didn't follow his word. That'll lead to dissatisfaction. And then last, if all that doesn't work, adopt an entitlement attitude, which seems to be prevalent in our culture today, right? Romans 6, forget Romans 6, 23, that says what? For the wages of sin and death. In other words, we all deserve death. We all, we all deserve way more than we get by the grace of God, right? But heck, be entitled. You deserve it, right? Go after the things that the world has to offer because yet life is short, the Bible says. So you might as well get all you can. Here's the issue. I think we in the church, as we've gone through this series, it's kind of really hit me. And, you know, 
it just kind of consumed me yesterday when I was driving home. You know, the ride from Freeport, which is like there by Rockford back to here, is kind of boring, right? And I'm just driving this ride, thinking and thinking. And, and I've come to the conclusion, how we live, and this is important for the church, how we live reveals really what we believe. I mean, think about that. How we live reveals what we really believe. And here's the sad thing. As I've, we've gone through this series, I started thinking, man, how are we living? Sometimes I think the church sort of lives like it's saying that what Christ has to offer is not as good as what the world has to offer. Because we find ourselves in all these precarious situations because we just don't follow the word of God. And it's troubling. I mean, think about what we've done in the series the first week, and think about the fact that we'd almost even have to preach a series like this to the church. First week, we talked about how to have an affair, right? And all the trouble, how that'll ruin your life. I mean, think about that, that we'd have to talk about that in the church. And then the next week, we said, you know, um, we talked about how not to drift from God. You would think that the church, all of us, once we realize the blessing and the awesomeness of God who cared for us and went to the cross for us to save us from ourselves, how we would ever drift from him. But it's true, isn't it? And then last week, Jason talked about how to become addicted to other things other than God. To realize that maybe God's not enough in your life, so you need something else to help you get through life. And as I started really thinking through the series, I started thinking, what are we doing? How are we living? Does the way we live truly, truly reveal what we believe? I think it does. Let me ask you this morning. Do you think God may be a little disappointed and how dissatisfied we are with our lives. I wonder how dissatisfied we are with where each and every one of us find ourselves this morning. I, I started thinking about some of the times that I was dissatisfied with where I was at. And like the Bible says, I somewhere associated with the Lord. And I wonder if that's true of us. And, and then I thought, if it is, why would God bless us? Why would God use us? To me, I think it's time for the church to sort of refuse to settle for less than the best that a life in Christ had to offer. It's so important for us. And I think sometimes we get, we get caught up in the issues that brought us to a place where we're dissatisfied and instead of looking at it and saying, okay, I know God can bring me out of it because we can't see how it works, right? I remember when I was in the Army in, down in Georgia, there was this little road I would take to get to the base when I lived off base. And there was a little bit of a, it was kind of a lake river, but it really didn't flow that well. But it, we had a lot of rain one day. And it rained to where the top of that bridge was covered in about three inches of water. So you really couldn't see the bridge. I could see the road going into where the bridge is and then the road going out because it took an upward incline coming out of it. And I drove across that bridge knowing that it was there because I'd driven it before. 
And I knew, though, though I couldn't see the foundation, that the bridge was underneath me. And let me tell you, sometimes we get places in life where we don't see how God's going to do something, or how's God's going to fix this, or how's God's going to bring about the joy again, or help me to be satisfied with where I'm at, because, you know, we can't see what sometimes we don't want to see. And we don't want to trust in what God wants us to trust in. But let me tell you, when you drive over that bridge knowing it's there and you get to the other side, guess what? Life changes. Life becomes what God wants it to be. Life is something that we can look at, like C.S. Lewis wrote, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what it's meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased by the world's draw. To me, earthly pursuits sought for the purposes of satisfying the soul never fulfill. Never. That's why Paul, I think one of the earmarks of his ministry was when he talked about things like he did in 1 Timothy, that godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, it's the best. If you want to know how to live life, live life with godliness and contentment, and life will be a joy. You'll have peace. I want to ask you before I go on any further, just real quick. I want everybody to bow your heads right now and close your eyes, just real quick. How many of you think God may be displeased with how you view your life right now? Nobody's seeing. Raise your hand. Hands everywhere. It's so true. I think sometimes we just don't realize, wow, how much we have to be grateful for. How much we have to, to look forward to. So I want to spend the, the, the balance of this message really quick speaking to you as a pastor, as a brother, as a friend, to help you see what God wants us to do. Paul said in 1 Philippians 4.12 that he said, I know what it is to be in need. So he knew what it means to be in need, just like all of us have. And I know what it is to have plenty. But I have learned, and that's the key to that passage, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It's something that we had to learn. He had to learn, and we all have to learn it as well. And the better we learn it, I think the better life is. The psalmist said in Psalm 25, 5, one of my favorite, lead me in your truth. And teach me. That's where we need to be. In the truth, to be taught by God, to understand how to learn to be content. For you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all day long. It starts by flipping the scenario. One is stop comparing yourself to others. Second Corinthians said it. Those who do so are without understanding. Let me tell you something. You can desire stuff without acquiring it. You can, 
you can look at things so differently. After all, one of the, the, the Ten Commandments was, Thou shall not covet, right? Exodus 20, anything of your neighbor's, paraphrase. Thou shall not covet. In other words, don't do it. It'll bring you to ruin. To me, I think that when you look at things, there's only a couple ways to, to stop comparing and stop looking at those things and stop thinking like you have to have it. It's just focusing on what God has given you and focusing on how to be a good steward of what you got. Because most of the time when we see what other people have that we don't, it really speaks to our greed and not our needs, right? The beginning of Timothy says he's going to give us what we need, right? Our food and clothing. After that, everything's gravy. So there's only one way to deal with that kind of stuff. Either you can work more to make more, to have more, or you can ultimately want less. When's the last time you thought about that, about wanting less? It's not in the fiber of America, because we all are taught to want more, have more. To me, I think we have to focus on our needs and not our greeds, because God said he's only going to meet our needs. He's not going to meet our greeds. And part of doing that and making it work is not to focus on what other people have that you don't, but just to focus on the blessings of God that he's given you. And in order to do that, in order to really encapsulate that, I think this was the key of Paul's ministry, is he said, adopt an attitude of gratitude. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in Colossians 3.15-16, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Thankfulness. No matter what happened to Paul, he exuded gratitude for what's going on in his life and his ministry. In one passage, he talks about all the things that he's been through, right? Shipwrecked, abandoned, beaten, whipped, all these different things. And at the end, he gives thanks because it was all for the glory of God. When's the last time you've actually been grateful, not for just what you have, but you've ever thought about being grateful for what you don't have? To help you be grateful with what you do have? Let me tell you something. When I was thinking about this, I started thinking about some of the things that I'm really grateful for that I don't really think about all the time. And I started thinking back in my Army days and some of the missions trips I went on. I, I used to be in the Army and used to be out in the field four to six weeks at a time, sometimes a couple months at a time, with no hot water. And I can't tell you how often I was thankful for a shower. You know? And when I went down to Mexico, went on a missions trip, I was down there for a couple weeks and you didn't really have showers. When's the last time you were thankful for a shower. You know what else I'm thankful for? I was thinking, and this is kind of bizarre, I'm, I'm thankful for toilet paper. <laughs> Let me tell you something, when you don't have it, <laughs> you'll be thankful when you do. When I was in the army, we were out there, they'd give us our MREs, and we'd get one little thing of, for a napkin. That was like gold to most people, because that's the only toilet paper you saw. Hey, I'm thankful for running water. You got running water? You're one of the wealthiest people in the world. Water that you can actually drink right out of the tap right, and you don't have to boil it or find something that isn't going to make you sick. I'm thankful I got a car. I don't care what kind of car, the fact that it drives and roads. If you have a car, you are in the top 10% of wealthy people in the world. 
I'm thankful for that. I started thinking, I'm thankful for food. I'm thankful that I can go down to Jewel and just buy some food. For most people in the world, if it isn't growing somewhere around their house, they don't have it. I started thinking, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, we disagree sometimes, and yeah, we have some issues. Also, but man, I am so thankful that I don't have to walk this walk alone. When's the last time you really thought about how thankful you are for those that God has put around you? To me, if we were a lot more thankful and we lived a life of gratitude, it would make our, our fellowship so sweet. It would have an allure and a draw that those who walk in here out of the cold would say, wow, I want to be a part of them. I want to be a part of their family. You all know those families where you go and you're thinking, man, that must be a great family. I wish my family was like that. Wouldn't you want people to walk in here and say, man, I wish my church was like that. I wish I was part of that group of people. Because we're grateful for what God gives us. And here's the whole point of all that. God wants us to enjoy what he gives us. Have you ever thought about that? I'm thankful that God wants us to enjoy what, we, what he gives us. Ecclesiastes, Solomon, again, everyone to whom God has given, given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. Paul said it this way, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Think about that. Don't you as a parent love to give your kids gifts and watch them enjoy them? To me, that's pleasurable. Man, when I give my kids stuff and, and they're doing stuff with it and I can see how it, it's, it's, it's stimulating them or they're really glad they're you know, working on this computer or doing something else, I take pleasure in that. God is no different. I think we grieve him when he gives us all these blessings that we don't recognize and we're not grateful to. And then we look at him and we wonder why we have no, <coughs> nothing more than what we have. Man, it's all about that attitude. And I know some people think, well, is money evil? Well, no, the Bible says the root of money is evil, right? The love of money is evil. So how does it work when you're thinking about this? Well, Timothy tells us that if you're not arrogant, in other words, you, if you don't look yourselves better than someone else, you're not a materialistic person, if you, if you use it for the good of others and you distribute it generously and you're ready to share, guess what? Money's okay. To me, if, if, if money is your God, it's evil. But if you use money to please God, it's good. That's why we talk about giving all the time. The best way to rid yourself of materialism is to give to God. Not because he needs your money, because he knows you need to be able to be free from it. Isn't that true? You know how you can tell you're materialistic in my mind is when you go to church and the pastor starts talking about tithing and you're getting aggravated that you're there that day listening to somebody ask for your money. Man, we should be thankful that we're able to give to God. Thankful we're able to share what he gives us so abundantly with others who are in need, right? Because that pleases him. Next, we have to remember that life is not about things. I read earlier in Luke 12, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for the life does not consist in the abundance of his presence, of his possessions, right? Things don't really matter to God. Nobody's taking a U-Haul to the grave, right? But here's where I really got to me as I started thinking about this. I remember a few years back, there was this big movement in Christendom 
about the prayer of Jabez. How many know the prayer of Jabez, right? About, hey, Lord, bless me, enlarge my territory. It was all about me, 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 give me what I need and what I want. Nobody ever prayers the prayer of Agar, which you find in Proverbs 30. And I think it's a great prayer. And I think it's a key to what we're talking about. Here's what it says. Two things I ask of you, Proverbs 30. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's a good thing. But here's the next one. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I may be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, Lord, give me, don't, give me enough so I'm not poor, but not too much so I'm rich and forget about you. Not too much, not, not too much or too little so that I go out and do things that I shouldn't do in order to get it to provide for my needs. But don't make me too rich where I, where I, I don't need you anymore. When's the last time you, everybody prays that prayer, half of it. Lord, don't, don't let me be poor. I don't know if anybody in this room has prayed, hey, Lord, don't let me be rich. I wonder. When you think about it, you read about the pursuit of all the things that money has. See, being content means I enjoy what God gives me and I'm willing to share it with others. That is a life that is truly life according to Scripture. If money is our God, no doubt it's evil. If we use it for God, it's good. <clears throat> Let me say it another way. If you love money and use people, and if you love money, you will use people. That's bad. <clears throat> but if you love people and use money, that is good. Money, it could be the root of all evil, or it could be the fruit of goodness. Last, I want you to look at focus on what lasts forever, not the temporal. 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look to the things that are not seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We need to have an eternal vision for how do we handle the satisfaction we pursue in life. Psalm 17, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I'm sure that verse came alive for Sheila this past Thursday. One of the things I loved about her is she was grateful for every day of life she had. She knew she lived far longer than anybody thought she would live. She always was thankful. Hey, I'm thankful for today. It's one more day of blessing. To me, I think we have to remember how we live reveals what we believe. And I want to ask you this morning is what you're saying with your life is that what Christ offers is not as good as what the world offers? Only you know. Or are you saying with your life that what Christ offers is always better than what the world has to offer? To me, I want to close with Philippians 3, 7 through 8. And I want you to think about this. Paul is saying, but whatever gain I had, counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. We started off service by, by saying he's all enough, right? Jesus is all I need. I want to ask you this morning, is that true? 
Or did you walk in here needing something else to be happy? If I would have, pre- have posed the question early on, is it, if you had just a little more, would it make your life a little better? I would imagine most of us would have raised a hand. And then went right on singing, all I need is Jesus. Then we sang, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. But you know, is it better to be in God's house? Or is it better to be doing a lot of things that the world's doing right now? Is it better to be in, in a growth group, gathering with God's people to learn how to live a life that God wants us to live? Or is it better to be watching that TV show on that night? Is it better to take my Bible every morning and open it up and read what God has for me that day? Or is it to get on with my daily work and everything else i got to do and pick it up later on? We, we, we devalue prayer so much that we wonder why we're powerless. Because you know what? We can't make the time for what God has us to do. And then we wonder why we're not as satisfied with what we have and where we are. To me, it's a, a, balance, a, 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 a balance of how we look at life, a perspective that we bring into it. I remember this one guy who was very wealthy. He took his son on a trip to a country with a, a intent to show him how poor the rest of the world is, to give him an appreciation for what he has. It's a good thing. And on their return trip, he was talking to his son, and he says, well, how was the trip? And the son said, hey, it was great, Dad. And he says, do you see how poor people live? And he said, oh, yeah. And the father said, well, why don't you tell me what you learned? And what he said was shocking to him. He said this, I saw that we have one dog, and they had four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden, and they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden, and they have stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, and they have a whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food. They grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, and they have friends to protect them. Perspective. Perspective. How we view the gifts of God. And how do we view his interaction with us in our life makes a difference on how we look at it. Who we're listening to. What is feeding our mind that helps us to filter what we have or what we don't have. Because the way you live shows the world what you believe. That's the bottom line. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude and get ready to sing and close out the service, Lord. You know, I know how troubling this was for me. I know at times in my life I've been dissatisfied unjustly because I thought wrong. And Lord, I grieve over the times it's maybe affected someone else that was looking at my life to say, wow, why would I want to believe what he believes? Look at how he lives. And Lord, I know that, you know, all of us don't recognize what we have. And I would just like to, Lord, for your spirit to lay heavy on us. That we would, Lord, think differently in order to live differently. In order to show the world that we've got the greatest, greatest, unbelievable gift in Jesus. That he is all we need. And Lord, that it is always better to be in your house with your people. Lord, looking 
for your wisdom and discernment on how to live our lives. And sometimes the world gets in the way of that. And I would ask that if it's happened to anybody today, and I'm sure it's happened to everybody, Lord, that we just bring it before your throne. But more importantly, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know your son, Jesus, and the transformational power of his grace and mercy, Lord, I'd ask that they would just see me after service, and I'll share with them exactly who you are and why you've made my life awesome. I just pray all this in your precious name, Jesus.